I was remembering this week that uh, as a, a kid, I used to read this series of books called Choose Your Own Adventure. And apparently, I, I think many of you probably did too, because it sold like 250 million copies throughout like the 80s and, and, and 90s, maybe even the late 70s. But um, the, the gist of it was, you know, you would start reading the story, and within a few pages, you, you had to choose and make a decision about where you go, what you do. You, you are kind of the protagonist, the, the main character in the story. And so if you want to do this, you go, you know, to the next page, or if you want to do this instead, you then go to page 20, and then every few pages you'd be faced with a choice. And the story had sometimes even dozens of different ending possibilities. And it was fascinating to, to not only just read it through once, but then what? To go back and, well, what if I did this? And what if I did that? And what if I did this? And, you know, you could quickly get a sense for good decisions and bad decisions, good choices, bad choices, and how it impacts the future of the story. And as I was reflecting on that, though, this week, I realized those stories and that, 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 that method really probably didn't prepare me for reality very well. Because I don't know about you, but I have a hard time these days choosing the adventure and making the right decision because it sure seems like making the good choice doesn't necessarily lead to the best outcome. Even when I know it's right and I pray and I get counsel, it seems like things don't necessarily go better. And sometimes it even feels like it gets worse. So as we wrestle with that, and I wonder if you have that same experience these days, that you know, maybe even you have a sense that whatever you choose, it's not going to go well. So as we come to God's Word today, and we continue our series of, of a growing church, which means not merely or only numerically, but actually primarily maturity. It's a growing church in a groaning world. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 21 through 23, pretty big section that sets the stage actually for the whole rest of the book of Acts up through chapter 28. And uh, as we head here, there's some good help for us about how we lean into our decisions uh, no matter what the outcome is, even if in fact we know it's going to bring hardship, resistance, challenges, or maybe even good and wonderful things. So as Paul heads to Jerusalem, we're, we're in Acts chapter 21. Uh, he's, not he's not exactly sure what adventure he's choosing. Paul, Paul has a sense for it. He, he doesn't know what exactly is going to happen. But he does know, he says in Acts chapter 20, we saw last week, that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies that bonds and afflictions await me. Chains and suffering. So Paul doesn't know exactly what it's going to look like, but he knows the outcome, and he's still choosing this adventure. And he goes on, and so the question that I want us to explore in this passage is, well, how do you do that? How do you keep choosing that part of the adventure knowing that it's going to be hard? And how, how do you choose in the midst of that, those hardships and challenges? You know, we're living and everything is hard 
these days. How do we keep making good decisions? Well, this passage is really helpful. And we're going to cover those 21, 22, and 23, those three chapters. Uh, We're just going to read, though, verses 15 through 36 of Acts 21. And then we'll cover the rest in a few moments. Uh, read with me, though, if you would. Acts 21, 15 through 36. This is God's holy word. Uh, after these days, we got ready and we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Manassan of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. So Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd... Some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, Away with him. This is God's word. 
Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Teach us your ways. Build our faith. Build our lives even as we commit to building them. We trust in Your Word. Meet us with Your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember uh, last week, if you were here, if not, just b- brief background. We left Paul on the shores of the city of Miletus saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And from there, he sailed by ship and hit several port cities journeying, meeting with disciples in the cities where they were. And eventually, he came to the coastal city of Caesarea Philippi and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. The beginning of chapter 21 tells us this. And with Philip's family. And this is the same Philip that we met all the way back in Acts chapter 6 as one of those first deacons and who was preaching all all throughout the land and was the guy who met the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and eventually wound up in Caesarea Philippi. And now, though, Paul is in Caesarea Philippi, and he's about to head up to Jerusalem, making that journey uh, some 60 miles or so. Uh, But while he's there in Caesarea Philippi, he, he doesn't know what the future holds beyond affliction and suffering And while he's there in Caesarea Philippi, Agabus, the prophet, comes and says, you're going to suffer, you're going to be bound when you go up to Jerusalem. And what Paul doesn't know is that not only is he going up to Jerusalem to be bound in chains, but actually within a couple of weeks, he'll be back in Caesarea Philippi in jail and stay in that jail for some two years before then heading to Rome, still in prison in chains along the way. So Paul does know that affliction awaits him in Jerusalem, and everyone else knows that, and he still keeps choosing this adventure, even though it's going to be hard, and everyone else sees it, and they they try to stop him. And so the, the question is, how do you keep going? Is he just crazy? How do you keep going when you know it's going to be really hard, even involving suffering, physical affliction. How do you keep going? How do you make that choice to carry on when you don't know what will happen, but you do expect the worst, you're maybe even confident of it? How do you keep going? And the short answer is, that, and this is what we're going to unpack today, the short answer is you trust the Lord with everything. You trust the Lord with your life and death, with freedom and restrictions, with fairness and injustice, with poverty and riches, with health and sickness. You trust the Lord with everything. And that's very easy to say right now, right? Here in church, and we're all you know, dressed and clean and showered, whatever, right? We're, we're all like, yeah, 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 amen. Well, what does that look like? And that's what we're going to unpack. Because that is, that is the message of this passage. To trust the Lord with everything. It's the message of the whole Scriptures. But it's actually in our passage a couple of times. We, we, right before we started reading in Acts 21, verse 13, after uh, Agabus has 
declare this prophecy of suffering for Paul. They begin begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answers in chapter 21, verse 13, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I'm ready. I'm, I'm prepared not only to lose my freedom, but even to lose my life. He's saying, essentially, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. And they really, they, that's when they stop arguing because if you look at verse 14, he's, they say, since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. That we'll trust the Lord in these circumstances. We'll trust the Lord and His plans for Paul. Paul's saying, I'll trust the Lord and His plans for me. We'll trust the Lord in life and death. Afflictions and health. In all of those things. And So as we look at this passage, I want to explore this idea of trusting the Lord with everything. And how you do that. Especially in the face of, of, of opposition and, and enemies and hard times and whatever way you want to put that, how, how do you keep doing that? And the, the, the answer is that you have to keep the big story. You know, as you're making the choices along the way, right? You have to, you have to keep the big story, the big adventure in mind. And that means, uh, first of all, you need to keep in mind the source of your problems. Okay, that's the first thing want to unpack the source of your problems in other words what is broken in the world around us what 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 is need what needs to be fixed for things to go well what is the source of your problems if you look at Paul's experience as he goes up to the temple to participate in this vow and we'll talk more about that in a second the emotions of everyone there are easily stirred up and the crowd takes matters into their own hands because what? They viewed the source of their problems as Paul. Paul's the problem. Verse 27 of chapter 21. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, probably from Ephesus, uh, Paul was there for several years, right? And he had preached in the synagogues. And so they knew who he was. And here they are, and they happen to be at the temple at the same time. And, and they see him. Upon seeing him in the temple, verse 27 says, he began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. Right? There he is. They say, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. This guy is the source of our problems. If he would just go away, and they try to kill him, right? If we could just get rid of him. We, a lot of our problems would be better. Things would go much more smoothly for us. Not only that, but he's brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. I don't know about you, but this, like, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, the riot in the city of Ephesus with the pagans in the temple of Artemis sounds very similar. Right? Demetrius there, the silversmith, had an economic problem. Their wallets were being hurt. You know, they were in danger of losing money because people were giving up occult practices. Pagan worship was declining. You know, here, what's the problem? 
It's the outward worship of God. Here they are in the temple of the living God, and, and they're afraid, they're concerned that that worship's going to go away. And not only that, but what? They're, they're concerned for their own reputation and for the law and for this place. So much so that they're very quick to jump to conclusions and state as fact with what is merely a conjecture, right? He brought Greeks into the temple, Luke tells us in verse 29. They had seen a Greek, Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him in the temple. Right? When, when you begin to see people as the problems, you begin to believe the worst about them. You could call this confirmation bias. You could call it just prejudice. You could call it being human and trying to make sense of things that are beyond your grasp. You could call it demonization. You could call it any number of things, but it's a reality that we all experience, right? When, when you begin to see someone as the problem, and it could be your spouse, it could be your children, your parents, your boss, government leaders, when you begin to see them as the problem, you, you are quick to accumulate evidence to prove that point. And, and you begin to diminish things that would undermine that point, right? You feed that viewpoint. That's a human thing that we do, right? And so all, all of us have, the background here is, is that we all have this kind of nagging sense that there's a problem. I mean, it looks today very much like conspiracy theories of any kind of flavor, right? People, people are grasping because things just seem so... so and you can't fit it into a story. And you're like, this just doesn't make sense. There must be those guys behind it. Or, or them. Or this. Or the other thing, right? And in simpler times, it was easy, right? In the Cold War, it was the Russians, right? It was the commies that were the problem. It was very easy, right? We didn't worry so much about other people. We had a big, bad enemy that was super clear in the United States. You know, and, and when those things go away, what do you start grasping? It seems to me like in the United States, we kind of started going internally and fighting one another. You ever notice that, that, you know, it's like a family thing, you know, like you, 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 you could fight with each other all the time, brothers and, you know, argue, all that kind of stuff, but someone threatens the family, you start to stick together. Right? You, you, you come together. The 90s in the United States were very divided. And what happened? 9-11. It's like, boom, everyone's patriotic. We've all got flags. We're together. There's a common enemy. That happens in wicked ways as well. That's what's happening here with Paul, right? There's this nagging sense that something's wrong. Oh, he's the problem. So let's eliminate him. Trying to make sense of the overall story. It's very much like Ephesus, where they, they had a concern about their wallets and their income, right? And an overarching uh, identity of Ephesians of being proud of Artemis and their temple. Here it's very similar. They're, they're concerned about the temple of God and their people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, 
And, and what they're also concerned about, it seems to me, is they have a view that they're okay with God because they keep the law and their traditions. And if someone comes along and tries to undermine that, it shakes everything up. They thought they understood the story. And here's someone presenting a different view of it. And simmering underneath and around it is the whole oppression of the Roman uh, Empire there that actually intervenes in the situation. Back in Ephesus, it was the town clerk. Here, it's a commander of the troops, leader of a... a, a the title is technically, you know, leader of a thousand. They sometimes had more. Centurion was a leader of a hundred, but they sometimes had more. They weren't super precise numbers. So this is a commander of the unit that's there. And the Romans kept a lot of soldiers right nearby, near the temple, because things happened there. People gathered together. Stuff would happen. So they could respond very quickly, and they do here. They start to try to kill Paul, want to get rid of him. Here's the thing. What is the source of our problems? What's the source of your problems? Is it the other people in your life? Is it the other political party and their policies? Is it the speeding driver on the road who cut you off? Is, is it your spouse? Is it your kids? What, what is the problem? What's the, the source of your problems? Brothers and sisters, their problem is, the source is not Paul. The problem is not the people treating him unjustly. The problem is sin. Particularly the pandemic of our failure to trust God with everything. That's, that's the most critical plague that humanity has ever faced and continues to face and will face until the return of Jesus is that we fail to trust the Lord with everything. We, we trust ourselves and our own understanding. We trust popular opinions and its assessment in the polls. We trust our feelings and their desires. We trust any number of things. We, we radically trust ourselves. We can even define our own identity no matter what the biology is. We trust our, ourselves. We radically trust science. It can heal and fix everything. Just give it enough time and money. We radically trust celebrities. What does it mean to be an influencer other than like we listen and trust what they have to say? And when you get in a situation like that, the problem becomes other people, right? If, if they would only get their act together, you know, if the anti-vaxxers would only get their act together, if the vaxxers would only understand the truth, if, 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 if the Democrats would do that, if the Republicans would just that, if there's no God in the picture, brothers and sisters, we will attack one another and see each other as the problems, and we will continue to divide into factions. And it can even happen in churches. It can happen in families. To keep the bigger picture in view, the overall relationship, in fact, that, that the source of our problems is actually sin, and that leads to the, the solution, which is who, who's the hero of the story? You know, who's the hero of the story? In this passage, it's funny, the commander in this passage who rescues Paul uh, 
is a really good example for every one of us. Because what we tend to do is make the hero of the story us, right? You know, it, it could be the fisherman telling that, you know, it was this big, you know, the fish was this big, you know. It was this big. Every time you retell the story, right, the fish gets bigger. Uh, here, in this case, it's really bizarre because in the next couple of chapters, uh, Paul is given liberty to address the crowd there in the temple, and, and they listen for a little while until he mentions the Gentiles, and then they start rioting again. And, and so the, the commander uh, takes him back to the barracks, and then they go see the Sanhedrin, the council of the religious leaders, the elders, the scribes, uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all gathering together, right? And he talks with them, and, and, and that doesn't go well. And, and then there's an, you know, he locks them up, and there's an assassination attempt plotted and stuff. And so the, the commander finds out about all this. And at the end of chapter 23, in verse 26, he's decided he's going to send Paul to the governor down in Caesarea Philippi. Like, I, you know, I don't want this to happen on my watch. I'm going to send him down to the governor. And so he writes this letter, Acts 23, 26 through 28. And his name, the commander, we find out here is Claudius Lysias. And he writes as a typical Roman letter, you know, his name first, then two, and then he says greetings. Verse 26, chapter 23. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man, the prisoner I'm sending to you, this man Paul was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman and wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, right? So what really happened, verse, 20, verse 33 of chapter 21, flip back there for a sec. We read part of this, verse 33 of chapter 21. The commander, that's Claudius Lysias, he came up and took hold of him, Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And it's probably like a soldier on each side, right? Clamp, irons, irons, one soldier there, irons, irons, soldier there. Uh, two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. And among the crowd, they were shouting one thing, some another, and he could not find out what was the uproar. He ordered him, Paul, to be taken back to the barracks. Verse 37 of chapter 21. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, you know Greek. Paul said, or then he, the commander says, you're not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out in the wilderness? Paul says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. Verse uh, uh, 23, then skipping ahead to chapter 22, they're crying out, throwing off their cloaks, tossing dust in the air. The commander ordered him, Paul, to be brought in the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging. So they could find out the reason why they were shouting, and they stretched him out. And Paul said to the centurion, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And it got really scary, right? So it jumped around a bit, but here, here's the short version. So this commander doesn't know who Paul is. He thinks he's an assassin. He doesn't know he speaks Greek. He doesn't even know he's a Roman citizen, and he starts... To, to get the truth out of him through torture by beating him, which was legal, but not for a Roman citizen. You don't do that to a Roman citizen. You, you don't even put him in chains, much less beat them. And so when he found this out, he was really scared. And so now as he sends Paul down to the governor, he's covering and making sure that the good story gets out. He says, you know, I intervened. They were going to kill him. And I found out he was a Roman, and I rescued him. Now, you've never done anything like that, right? You've never kind of reinterpreted the facts afterward, right? Like, 
I do this all the time. You know, you ever be at a traffic light and it's like, you're like going to call when it turns green? It's green, 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 yes, see, got it. First try. Oh, that, that's a silly way to do it, but boy, we spin the truth. Right? We protect ourselves. Why do we do that? Because we're not trusting the Lord. We're not okay with our own failure. We're afraid it's going to cut us off from everyone else, or that we're going to look bad. And we don't know that there's any hope. I've got to protect myself because there is no one else to protect me. Who's going to stand up for me? Who's going to rescue me from my own stupidity? Who, who's going to take care of all of my sins? Because if people find out about them, I've got to pay. Who's going to welcome me and accept me into their arms if they know the horrible things that I think in my heart and what I've done in the past? All of those things together, right? And so we keep the, the, the story. We leave God out. We don't trust Him. And so we have to trust ourselves or we trust other people. We, 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 we need a hero when we think about our lives. And, and the reality is that we're not the hero. You know, you see Paul interacting with the leaders there uh, as the beginning of what we read. Acts chapter 21. He goes up to Jerusalem and, and they welcome him rejoicing. And he begins to tell them all of the things that God had done through his ministry. And they praise the Lord. And they glorify God. Because God's the hero. Paul is the greatest missionary who has ever lived. And we need to be careful that we don't glorify Him in a way that we diminish God. Because it's really God. That could have been you. Paul's not special. The God who works through him is. The God who knew Paul and his sin and his brokenness and draw, drew near to him and gave him his own Holy Spirit to equip him to do those things and who called him to this work. And yes, Paul made choices and was faithful. See, the source of your problems is sin and the hero of the story has to be God. That's the only way we're going to trust Him. And what that leads to is then the, the adventure of your choosing. And it means that we will seek peace when it's possible. The reason Paul is in the temple to get arrested and bound is because he listened to the leadership of the church who said, look, people think untrue things about you and lies. What can we do to address that? Well, let's have you partake in a, an appropriate Jewish ceremony that we all think is okay for someone who is Jewish. A Gentile would not be appropriate, but a Jewish person, sure. You can go offer this vow. You can go into the temple. You're a child of Abraham. And the vow was probably a, a Nazarite vow where they would sh let their hair grow and not touch it. They'd stay away from alcohol, dead bodies, and all the things that would make them unclean. And then they would wait. And after a period of time, often 30 days, they would then shave their heads and they would come and offer a sacrifice. And you arrange that in advance, that kind of thing. There was also a, a ceremony Paul seems to have taken part in where you purify yourself. And you just say basically, Lord, I've been among unclean people. You know, I want to offer a sacrifice that I'd be washed clean. 
they were ceremonial things, still appropriate for a, a Jewish person at this time in history. And so Paul goes, he, he, he's seeking peace. But that's, that's not only the beginning of it, right? What happens when things go off the rails and people start accusing him? What does Paul do? Does he start screaming and yelling? Does he cut and run? No, he says to the, to the commander, he's going to reinterpret events in a minute, right? He says to that commander, hey, can I please speak to them? Can I have your permission to speak with the crowd? And he says that in Greek to reach the commander. And the commander's surprised. And then Paul then turns to the crowd and speaks in Hebrew, probably Aramaic, to the crowd. And they begin to listen. He speaks their language. Right? He's seeking peace. Not, not only that, but look, he... He seeks common ground with them. He, he, he draws so many parallels. We don't have time to pull them all out. Chapter 22, verse 2, he addresses them in the Hebrew dialect. They become quiet. Chapter 22, verse 3, he says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are all today. You, you affirm what you can. You seek peace. You build bridges, not burn them, even when people are treating you poorly and abusing you and persecuting you. You seek their good. That means you find good in them. This is the way you undermine divisiveness. Not by continuing to reinforce the narrative that they're the problem, they're the enemy, and they're the bad guy, but by seeking to have a hearing and respecting them. Drawing near them, he goes on, you know, I persecuted this way. To death, putting men and women in prison. It's the high priest and the council, they can all testify. I'm not, I'm not making this up, basically. I received letters. I was going off the mask. He tells this whole story about this. His own story. What's he doing? He's seeking peace. He's drawing near. He has a, a narrative, a story that's way bigger than him and them. He has a God who is walking before and trusting. The God who he will himself, Paul, at this time, writes a letter to the Romans, and he writes these words. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, verse 14. Romans 12, 17, he continues, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. It is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. And so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Romans 12, 21. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil? With evil? With vengeance? With good. How do you do that? You know, the only way you do it is, and this is this is the choice, right? This is the this is the choice as, as you're going into life this week. And whatever your position on masks or COVID mitigation or vaccines or politics, whatever your positions on those. If you want to reach people, 
If you, if you want to make good choices, you have to go into all of that trusting the Lord with everything. Right? That means when you help someone, they might take advantage of you. And you're not doing it because you plug in the right numbers and you get the right answer, right? That's not the way it works. You help someone because it's the right thing to do. Or you don't help them because that's the right thing to do. It's not a decision you're making on your own. You're making it in a community. You're making it before the Lord. You're prayerfully applying the principles of Scripture. And as you have someone who is antagonistic towards you, do you find a way to get them? Do you find a way to make sure everyone else knows how wrong they are? Do you speak about them and reinforce the narrative and make them the enemy? Or do you do good for them? Do you try to find things to affirm and draw near? And here's where it really meets the road, brothers and sisters, because if you think about it, the only way you're going to be able to trust the Lord and with all things is if you really believe you can trust Him. And, and how can you believe that? Because He has loved you and knows the source of your problems is your own sin and the sin of humanity and the brokenness all around us, right? He knows the source of that problem and He comes to save you. And to truly rescue you, not as a made-up story spinning the truth, but with flesh and blood coming from heaven to earth, uniting with humanity in a mysterious way, walking among us, living perfectly and submitting to the very wrath of God, the unjust treatment of humanity, and a death on a cross for his enemies. Trusting in all things, rising victorious from the grave and sending His Spirit into your hearts that you might trust this Lord. That you might see in those other people yourself. And you might have an opportunity to essentially be Jesus to them. Because that's the big thing that's going on here. Am I going to choose to believe the gospel or my flesh? Am I going to choose to believe the goodness of God and His plan and purposes for a broken humanity? Or am I going to believe that I deserved all this and they don't? Are we going to choose this narrative, this adventure? Imagine if we did. Imagine just if those of us in this room today put this into practice. We'd trust the Lord with our own reputation. We'd, we'd trust the Lord with politics. We'd trust the Lord uh, with vaccines and not. And we could have conversations about these things in a way that, that like people don't even know for sure what your position is on secondary things because you are so good to them. Because you are loving them and sacrificing for them. And then when it comes to the opportunity to share the gospel and the truth of explaining who you are and what you believe about the source of our problems, they, they would listen. 
Could you imagine if we were all, all doing that? Can you think of areas where it is happening? You know, I, I, think, I think as we restart ministries, we're seeing it, right? We're seeing it at Camp Treasure Island as, as we're just sharing the gospel with these kids. It's beautiful. See it week in and week out as, as a, a small but intrepid crew head out to the streets of 69, 9th Street here, the streets of Upper Darby, and, and, and hand out tracts. And they get, they get grief. And they also build relationships. And they have consistently have Muslims that will talk to them and interact with them. Because they're loving people. And it comes through. You know, what, what is that fundamental story we're believing? You know, if, if we understand and we'll, we'll trust God in the midst of those things, man, it's just it's a reorienting for all of our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, how oh, so easy for us to say here, to believe and to commit to it, that we will trust You. We'll trust the Lord with, with everything. Oh, Lord, help us even this week to live that out. If there are areas where, where we have treated people as enemies, and perhaps they even are, they're hostile to the Gospel, would you help us, Lord, to be free from vengeance, free from returning evil for evil, but instead, Lord, would you help us to overcome evil with good? That we would be the light that pushes back darkness. Lord, would you be the hero of our stories? Set us free and give us the confidence that, that we can trust You with our reputation. That You do love us enough to accept us and bring us into fellowship with You. Despite our sin and brokenness, You know all of that and You have saved us from it. You have taken away our guilt, our shame, and You have won the victory for us on the cross, defeating Satan and all of his powers. And Lord, would You help us then in the midst of all of that to make those good choices. Seeking peace, drawing near, and giving You the glory. We pray in Your precious name, Jesus. Amen.